good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. horror queers we're talking home invasions we're talking bubblegum pussy and we're talking those cunts Chantel and dave and i'm joe <laughs> i'm trace and we're talking you're sure you've never sucked another man's cock before oh i knew you were gonna latch onto that i want to talk about that line in this movie because i don't know if i want to call it homophobic or not <laughs> we have a lot of lines to talk about from this film trace yeah, this movie is definitely um, no holds barred. Take no, well, it it does take prisoners, but like you know, several with, prisoners, in fact, yes, with taste. Um, so everyone, we are talking Chris Peckover's film Better Watch Out, which has quickly become one of my favorite new holiday horror comedy films. But that's not to say there's not a lot to unpack in this film. Before we dive too much into it, though, we do want to say that um, if you have not seen this film. I would stop listening right now and go watch it. Yeah, major, major spoiler alert. And you know how sometimes we say like, oh, we're going to spoil this movie and blah, blah, blah. In this case, this is a film that actually can be spoiled. So if you haven't seen it, don't watch the trailer. Don't read anything about it. If you're at all curious, honestly, just go and watch the movie. Yeah, I mean, basically just think it's it's an R-rated Home Alone. That's kind of the basic premise of the film before things really kick in the high gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, without further ado, we shall proceed. All spoilers are now on the table. Yes, and before we even get into the film, we have someone to help us out, Joe, because I do think we're going to need a different perspective on this for us. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone, she is the editor of Shudder's The Bite, and she's got bylines at Rumorg, Fangoria, and Slashfilm. Oh, and she was also the guest on one of our more popular episodes, Ginger Snaps, from last year, though... There will probably be no cum discussions today, I think. You promise. <laughs> I promise. I'm, I am drinking, though, so we'll see. Um, please welcome, everyone, return guest Ariel Fisher. Thank you for having me again. That was only a year ago? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Actually, it was almost, it was a year and a half, because I think it was, like, April, May of 2019, but your point stands. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. That makes me feel a little less <laughs> shitty, but that's fine. <laughs> Oh my god, this year. (sighs) Yeah. So, Better Watch Out is a movie. Ariel, (laughs) I have to ask, so is this one that Joe pinned on you, or did you opt to come into this one? This is his new way of phrasing things, Ariel. Did he pin it on you? (laughs) And the answer is, yes, I fucking pinned it on you. (laughs) Well, in theory, yes, you pinned it on me, but that makes it sound like you forced me to do this, and you most certainly did not. You mentioned you guys were going to be doing this one. You asked if I'd be interested. I said I hadn't watched it. And you encouraged me to go and watch it first. Oh. And I did. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So she had never seen this. And I was like, just go and like give it a little gander. Tell us what you think. You know, (laughs) fully knowing it was, ooh, I had you. It was like fishing. I I just knew that this was going to get you so riled up. So you did pin it on. I see. I, I no longer feel remorse now. Trace, continue. Um, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
yeah, so I watched it and I had some feelings and I had some thoughts and a couple of opinions. Mm -hmm. So I decided, yes, I wanted to do this very, very much. And I'm afraid I might get a little nihilistic, but... (laughs) (laughs) Much like the film itself. (laughs) Uh, but I think that's, a, I mean, I keep saying the word perspective a lot, but I think that's something we need because this is a movie, it was like my second Fantastic Fest that this premiered. This is this premiered in September 2016 at Fantastic Fest, and that was back when it was called Safe Neighborhood. It, had, it hadn't had the title change yet. And I went in totally blind. This is definitely a movie, too, where a blind, like a blind entry is going to be probably the most beneficial for you. As Joe said, don't watch the trailer because the trailer actually does doesn't yeah. flat out give away the end of the first act twist, but it's really obvious who the villain is in the film in the trailer. Right. I disagree. Really? Oh, I do. I had seen that trailer multiple times, and I it seems more obvious when you've already seen the film. Yeah. Okay. I mean, okay. I think that's how the first act plays when you because I've seen this film probably four times since. 2016 because with a film like this you know when when there isn't a twist that's early on or honestly even it's a film that really could hinge on the twist alone right like oh that that, that's the big thing and Mm -hmm. it's always kind of like oh is is everything pre-twist gonna like be just boring now I don't think it is for me personally but I do think though that watching it it's so fucking obvious how much of a shit this kid is oh (laughs) Oh, my god is it ever (laughs) yeah there's red flags all over these two kids from like their very first scene it's kind of crazy. I actually have an interesting tidbit, though, because director Chris Peckover, slash co-writer Chris Peckover, does see a lot of himself in Garrett, and the filmmakers do think that Garrett is the audience surrogate in this movie. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I saw this, and I was like, I actually was blown away. I gave this, I've reviewed this for Bloody, and I gave it a four out of five, and I was, I just had a lot of fun with it, but... I do think that even watching it now, after Me Too, after Black Lives Matter, after I feel like we as a society and a community are a bit more aware of looking out for things, it's an interesting watch. <laughs> that is that is a good way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just waiting for my cue, man. I'm like, I'm going to just wait until you guys do your spiel as you want, and then I well, will dig. So yeah, let's get this out in the air. So Arrow, what did you think of this movie? I fucking hate it. Okay. <laughs> I fucking hate this movie. <laughs> Let me preface, because like it's, well, I guess it's too late to preface, but it's not badly made. It's right. well made. It's a really interesting twist. Yeah. And they did a good job with it. It looks good. The <laughs> acting is fun. Mm-hmm. But it's not an enjoyable watch, right? No, this this watch is one of the most agonizing films I've had to watch in a very long time. Yeah. Why is that? Oh, for one, it's deeply triggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a survivor of sexual assault, I feel like I have to say that to some weird pace. I've said it so many fucking times. But like, there are some parts of this movie that just, I'm watching them and I'm crawling out of my skin. I'm fidgeting in my chair. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. I would fucking punch you. I would punch this little twat in the dick and not even oh, care. Yeah. Like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he just, somebody needs to just rip off his arms one at a time and like slap him with them because like he shouldn't be allowed to have hands. But at the same time, I feel bad for the little friend because he's been so manipulated into helping a sociopathic murderer. Mm -hmm. And my feelings about Luke predominantly, let's Mm -hmm. just leave it there, are like really dark and kind of nihilistic Mm because the way this movie ends, and again, 
They've already prefaced. If you haven't seen this yet, turn this off now and go (laughs) (laughs) Go watch the movie, unless you don't care about spoilers, but this will ruin everything for you. The fact that she survives at the end and they find out as she's being hauled into an ambulance, she's been saved and she flips him off from the window. And I know it's supposed to be this big heroic moment of Mm -hmm. go fuck yourself. You're fucked now, little Mm -hmm. shit. It is not that at all. Because we've seen with cases like Brock Turner, where you can be caught red fucking handed, only get six months and serve three and then live a totally normal fucking life. Like the yep. fact that they even position that, well, she's been saved and she's alive so she can testify and this is a happy ending is like, oh, so you sweet summer child. Question though. So did you turn it off immediately or did you stay for the mid credit scene? There's a mid credit scene? I mean, not mid. It's it's basically about like 30 seconds into the credits. But basically, um, it's when Luke looks out the window. He comes back and he goes, Mom, I'm really worried about Ashley. Can we go to the hospital and visit her? And then we cue the actual credits. I didn't see that. And that <laughs> makes me even matter. Yeah. <laughs> so we get a sequel tease in the mid credits of this movie. A sequel that we'll never get, but it's there. Mm-hmm. The only sequel I want for this movie is Ashley. Mm-hmm hunting him down and like butchering him in as vicious a fashion as is humanly possible. Like slowly, painfully, brutally, just fuck him up. It is fascinating to me because I mean, yeah, I do really like this movie. I do know why you feel the way you do. And I do think it's a frustrating watch. For me, the black comedy of it all does, I don't want to even say dulls the effect of it because obviously watching it, like it is, it's a very uncomfortable viewing experience because of how terrible this kid is. But that's what I, I seem to see is that half the people that like this movie think it's a total blast and really fun and whatever. And the other people are like, no, it's too frustrating. This kid sucks. And I honestly, like, even though the film isn't on his side, at least I don't think so. The narrative of the, and the way the film goes, the way it ends is very much like it doesn't give us that catharsis of his defeat, which deflates any sense of fun you could possibly even have in this film. Well, exactly. I can't comprehend thinking that this film or feeling, I should say, I can't comprehend feeling that this film is a blast mm-hmm. or is fun Like, it's watching everything that's wrong with apathetic, toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. just run rampant and have no consequences and complain about being a victim the entire fucking time. And I'm just like, no, no. Because for a lot of people, that's just life. Yeah. Yep. Like, I wish it wasn't, but... I think one of the ways that people kind of get around this, and I think even Chris Peckover, I watched a couple of the featurettes on YouTube, and it's the age, right? If the Luke character was older, like if he was 16 and Ashley was, you know, five years older and in her 20s, this movie would play completely differently. This movie, if you can say it works, it only works because this little fucker is only 13 years old and you can see the germination of what he will become but the film is kind of like oh but he's just a preteen and that he's played by a kid who actually was 13 when it was filmed he looks so young i'm constantly shocked that this is an actual child that i'm watching on screen Mm -hmm. i mean i think even uh Olivia Dion, who is Ashley, I think she was, I want to say she was like 17, 18 when they filmed this. So Peckover did admit that it, um, it was stupid of him and Zach Khan to try to write like this villain as a 12 year old boy because they were like, how are we going to find an actual like 12 or 13 year old to do this? I do think that Levi Miller accomplishes that 
I think he does the performance really well. But even going into Garrett, so Chris Peckover had said that he had this thing growing up where he uh, really looked up to his friends who were wealthier than him to the point that he started devaluing himself and doing things that they wanted him to do just because he was like, oh, they're rich, they're right, that's what you do. And that's what he tried to get into Garrett. But then some of that, I think, got lost in the final cut of the film or even during filming because they were actually they went over budget and were behind schedule quite a bit. So you don't really get that kind of nuance with that character because Garrett's very much just kind of like the sidekick who gets a really brutal death at the end of the film. Oh my god, yeah. I disagree with that. I think it's very firmly there. Like, Garrett is an example of the Leopold and Loeb phenomenon. So he is in love with his best friend, and his best friend is a killer, and he just goes along with it. I was gonna ask that too, actually, because, I mean, knowing that Chris Peckover is a gay man, did y'all get any, like... Not from Luke, but from Garrett, queer vibes that he like, that he was like genuinely like romantically in love with Luke. I mean, I think he's too young to like have processed it, but I definitely think that that's why he goes along with it. I don't know, man. Twelve or thirteen years old. I mean, like I, I do think, yeah, sometimes yes, but you know, when you're talking about sexuality, like I think people at twelve can still know that like their romantic feelings. I think he feels it, but he doesn't necessarily realize that that's what he's feeling. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, this is such a heteronormative relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, when you consider what they're talking about, and just the mention of the, like, oh, they'd be all sticky and wet. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, saying that it like it's a bad thing. Like, he reminds me of the guy that I knew in university who was like, women's vaginas are, like, open flesh wounds. And I'm like, you're gay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like vagina. But okay, <laughs> th- that's actually something we're um, coming across, at least just, like, cisgender gay men there's that whole mentality of ew vagina is gross and i've never like i'm not sexually attracted to vaginas but i've never once like a looked at a vagina and been like ew that's gross or been like that's disgusting i would never touch it like it's on my bucket list one day to like you know have sex with a vagina but <laughs> not a woman but a vagina <laughs> well because i i don't i don't want to like i don't want to like exclude like the transgender community because it could be it could no, be a man fair. yeah that fair yes true but nevertheless I, that, that's actually one aspect of the gay male community that I really don't like is this like aversion to how gross vaginas are. I think it perpetuates the stigma and just makes it even worse for people with vaginas. But that being said, watching these boys have this conversation, it rang so true to me. And granted, that's probably a bad thing (laughs) because I feel like I've seen people talk like this and I know people that remind me of these characters and that's a problem, but it's realistic. And so I don't know. I guess what I'm asking you, Ariel, so do you think that the film mishandles the subject matter or is it more just the fact that this is even this exists? This this is a film that has these characters front and center. I think it's a happy coincidence, honestly. Mm -hmm. I don't think it plays such a huge role in the film. But if I had to think about it, I can think about, you know, the girls that I was friends with in high school and elementary school who, you know, before I knew I was pansexual. Right. Like, they bullied me, and I was attracted to them, but I didn't stand up for myself because I didn't want them to not like me. (laughs) But I didn't realize what I was doing or why I was behaving that way. Yeah. So, like, I think that's kind of what's happening here, and it is kind of that subconscious behavior. It seems really apparent to me, but very apparent as like, oh, this kid has latent homosexual tendencies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or maybe latent bias tendencies, you know? Yeah, that's true. I think partially it's because we ourselves have gone through that questioning period and we can see 
parts of ourselves in the way that he goes along with something but doesn't seem 100% convinced of it himself. And that's actually one of the reasons why I like the Garrett character, because he's complicated in that way. Like, once you've figured out Luke's scheme, it's all on the table. Like, he doesn't change. He's just a sociopath the entire movie. So when he says disgusting things about fucking hell he <laughs> anything <laughs> name something <laughs> animated vagina bubblegum pussy you're just mm-hmm. like okay you are a disgusting example of like what traditional masculinity can worm its way into people whereas garrett as you said ariel it seems like he doesn't even understand the kinds of things that he's saying like he's done pornography searches on google and is like this is what people use to describe vaginas so i'm gonna say it to sound like i fit in I kind of enjoy the fact that whether or not the father is gay is kind of left ambiguous, whether or not he's metrosexual or Mm -hmm. he's just really secure in his masculinity and he is straight or he's bi and it's not an issue. Like he could be anywhere on the spectrum of of sexuality and sexual preference and it wouldn't matter because it doesn't. And he seems very healthy in all of that, except there is the moment when Ashley first gets there and it's this harmless little, my God, you're stunning. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. that's kind of creepy and kind of not okay, but we're going (laughs) to laugh and brush it off because that's what we do when we're uncomfortable and at risk of losing our work or being told something horrible. So we just shut up and that's fine and whatever. I'm used to seeing that. But then the way you see Virginia Madsen's character, Mm -hmm. the mother, talking to him, it's clear how Luke became Luke. Mm-hmm. And we have these conversations a lot, societally speaking, and like, oh, it's the mother's fault. It's the father's fault. He wasn't hugged enough. He was hugged too much. He this, he that, whatever. Mm-hmm. This clearly to me seems like he's mom's perfect boy. Yeah. He can do no wrong. And she coddles him and she treats the father like shit. And it's kind of a good thing that we're getting to see toxic masculinity as depicted from a female character because we are as guilty of it as men and that is such an important thing to talk about Mm -hmm. i wanted to even piggyback on though too i mean this might be a bit of a diversion too but i opened my this episode with you know her line where she goes you're sure you never sucked another man's cock before Mm -hmm. and honestly i'm glad that i know chris peckover is gay because if i didn't know that Mm. It would have taken you right out of the movie. Well, because it, it is really homophobic, right? And granted, this is another instance of, okay, well, is it the character that's being homophobic or is the film being homophobic, you know? It's the character. Mm-hmm. It, it is it's very the much the character. But even still, like, you don't hear cock that much in mainstream cinema, which granted, this is more of an indie film, but you don't hear it that much. And it's still, it took me aback. It's also Virginia Madsen, but it's done in such a way where it's like, oh, you are slightly effeminate. You care about the decorations. You must be gay. And it's something that I still to this day, I was like, God, I'm really glad I know one of these writers is gay. Like, <laughs> But again, is that a problem? Because it, should it matter? I don't know. Uh, I think we can give it leeway because there's a knowingness to it. What Ariel said about toxic masculinity coming mm-hmm. from a female perspective is true. And what you're saying, Trace, is also true. Mm-hmm. They don't cancel each other out. So the Deandra character is fucking terrible and she yeah probably is responsible for why luke is the way he is and it's coming from a perspective of someone who has probably understood what homophobic comments or even just hearing that kind of commentary can do to like a burgeoning youth right the way that she talks I think if you were in a straight audience, they would laugh because it's outrageous and it's vulgar. And yes, it's coming from fucking Virginia Madsen. (laughs) 
Very specifically cast parent here. Let's not glaze over that. Yeah. Nope. Ariel, it's interesting because I've had similar situations like this before where it's like I've really enjoyed a movie that has affected a friend in a very like, like the way that you're feeling now. And I almost feel guilty liking this movie because of that. Because I feel like it's offensive to you that I like this movie. <laughs> it's not offensive to me that you like this movie. Mm-hmm. It's not offensive to me. I think that's the the distinction. It's concerning to me. Okay. Because the idea that people can look at this movie and this subject matter and think, wow, this is really entertaining Mm -hmm. without much discussion. And really from the reviews that I was reading about it, there wasn't a lot of discussion as to the poignancy of what was happening. I think if it came out today, festival was in 2016, but it came out in October 2017. I think mm-hmm. had it been released this year, we'd be having different reviews and discussions about this film. But I oh, think also very. because it's a twist, there were mm-hmm. a lot of people who tried to dance right. around it. So you can't say, well, Luke is this evil fucking toxic masculinity child because then you're giving something away that maybe they thought should be kept secret. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's the other problem. And that's one of the things that's really frustrating about this movie is, and and I was thinking about that while watching it. I'm like, this is an impossible film to review. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't say anything and you can't express why it is infuriating and you can't express why it's concerning. That's what I take away from this movie is I am so concerned that someone at some point now or in the future is going to watch this movie and think, wow, yeah, that's super fun. And forget the fact that it it centers entirely around possession of women Mm -hmm. and abuse of women and senseless murdering. Like this kid is, what's his face? Kyle Rittenhouse or whatever. The kid who who shot three protesters and then now is out on bail and getting promotional like sponsorship from companies. Mm. Yeah. This is happening. You hit it for me, Ariel, when you said, I'm concerned that people could watch this movie and not process or not talk about the problematic issues. And it's not problematic in terms of the film itself. The film is trying to engage us in a dialogue. And if you just look at it like, oh, that paint can scene. Oh, you know, like this kid is such a shifty little bastard. Like that's, I think, doing the film a disservice because you're not engaging with what it's actually trying to do. But you're also glossing over the bigger messaging that we should be taking from films like you need to be having conversations about them and the problem is is when you throw something like this movie onto a list and you just say oh it's like a christmas classic and there's a lot of fun scenes like that's not what this film is it can be fun but you also have to acknowledge all the heavy shit that it's raising i couldn't stop thinking about this the entire time i was watching it mm. and both times because i did go back and oh my god it a i'm time so sorry <laughs> I apologize for nothing because this is going to be gold. (laughs) (laughs) I could not stop thinking about it the entire time that everyone, and I mean everyone, and their fucking mother shat on the new... Black Christmas? Yep. Shat on the new Black Christmas about being too on the nose and too political and talking about too many current issues, which to me was concerning, number one, because it completely forgets the fact that the first one is basically a pro-choice anthem. Yeah. That aside, which many people have already discussed, 
Black Christmas got shat on so fucking hard and torn apart limb from limb for being too obvious and too on the nose. And this movie is literally about a white child, (laughs) male, murdering the girl he wants to fuck Mm -hmm. and her boyfriend's present and ex-tense, past tense, shall we say, because she won't fuck him. I think, yeah. too, that's there's a part in the movie towards the end where she's like, you were never going to let me go, were you? And he's like, no. And so I'm just thinking to myself, what was his end game then? I can tell you what his end game is. He was going to roofie her and rape her, Trace. And oh. then he was going to kill exactly. her. Exactly. Either, either she was going to put out and that was going to be what happened. And then they had sex and he was going to be like, yeah, see, I told you I could scare her into fucking me. Or she wasn't going to put out. He was going to roofie her and fuck her. Or his end game that he takes no responsibility for is, look what you made me do. Mm-hmm. I had to kill all of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. No one made you do any of this. You fucking did it on your own and you're a goddamn monster. But I don't think that... I guess maybe the issue is that the, that the film is leaving it up to the audience to realize, yeah, obviously that's fucking up. Because, the, yeah, the film doesn't give him a moment of punishment of anything, really, outside Not of that flipping of the bird. And so... I don't know. I guess where I'm coming from is I, mean, I realize he's a shit. I realize everything he's doing is wrong. I realize that everything he's he's fucking delusional. He's a psychopathic, toxic person. And while, yes, it would be fucking great to see him get some holiday-inspired death at Ashley's hands, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm trying to say, to be honest. Well, I think that's where the age comes in. You're not going to see a 13-year-old boy get murdered gruesomely even though we would all agree that he completely but we do see a 13 i mean we do yeah (laughs) but we see it at the hands of a teen sociopath as opposed to oh the 17 year old beating him up (laughs) yeah but the other thing is is that this movie really leans into the fact that people like this don't pay the consequences for any of their Mm -hmm. actions right and the fact that i didn't stick around and actually see that Mm mid-credit sequence You know, that was a blessing for my reception of the film because I liked it just a little bit more. And now that I know that that scene exists, it's like, cool. So you took every shred of hope there is that there would be consequences for his actions and buried it in a puddle of manure. And you know what's yeah. interesting, too? Because it's like an 85-minute movie, you know? Like, it's a, it was prime for Fantastic Fest. Mm. And I remember when that when that mid credit scene happens, the, I mean, the whole theater, it's a soul, it's a full theater everyone just goes oh yeah so make of that what you will but that's the thing that makes me concerned right and that's the thing that frustrates me and i know there's gonna be a bunch of people who are like no you're taking it too seriously and i'm you know what fine (sighs) well you're right there will be people that say that because people are assholes there always are (laughs) but like even me as someone who is like well because i do understand where you're coming from i do understand why you feel the way you do i still like it given all of that but I'm not, I don't think that you're being too serious on it. I think to even say that to someone is to discredit their life experience. And that's something that yeah. people all too often forget to do. And I haven't had your experiences. I am not a survivor of sexual assault. I'm sorry. I'm not a victim of sexual assault. Obviously, that's, if I say I'm not a survivor, that sounds weird. No, no. no. I think survivor, survivor is, is you're You're correct in saying survivor and not victim. The general consensus is we don't like being portrayed ah, as victims. Yeah, okay. Because it robs us of our power and autonomy in the situation that has already succeeded in robbing us of our power and gotcha. autonomy. Gotcha. Right. So, yeah, I don't understand that. I mean, sorry, I don't understand it. I, I haven't lived that. And so I'm not coming at it from that point. Of course. I will say, I think that's where some of the gender division comes from in the reception of this film. Like, I have heard a lot more men talk very positively about this movie. And mm-hmm. again, not exclusively. 
And originally, all of the criticisms that I heard of the film, and again, it, it was a lot of the film is well made, it's well acted, all of this stuff, but I also can't enjoy this movie because it is triggering, it is deeply upsetting. I can't watch this character and watch this character thrive. And essentially win at the end. I mean, again, exactly. it's more of a draw at the end, which I think is almost even more frustrating than the film giving him a win. So yeah, I do understand that aspect of it, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's every survivor's worst nightmare mm-hmm. is that they're not going to get any justice. They're not going to be believed. And those are in instances where the survivors survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she very nearly didn't. And this is a dangerous road to go down, but shit's going to get heavy for a minute. Yeah. I've been assaulted three times, mm-hmm. one of which was rape. And I think about those and I quantify them based on that criteria and it's a really fucked up way to think about it and it's it's where my head goes in this movie is like she was assaulted Mm -hmm. she wasn't raped but she was assaulted and like that doesn't matter she was assaulted she was sexually assaulted and she was considered prey for this sexual predator and yes he's a 13 year old kid he's still a fucking sexual predator Mm -hmm. and we need to talk about that like it's not just okay That like, well, he's a kid, so he's not going to... Yeah, of course he's not going to have consequences because he's a kid. Because he's a kid. And he goes on to become a Brock Turner and then a Harvey Weinstein if if he's given enough leeway. Yeah. And I actually don't buy into the argument that... Joe, I'm going back to you actually here when you say, oh, we're not going to have this child be murdered or whatever by a teenage girl. I think the film is mean enough to where if he was brutalized by the end of this film... It wouldn't have felt out of character for this film for me because this film is very mean, and I will not. I, I agree with that. It is a very mean film, and so I don't think that it, the film is "quote unquote" above <laughs> mutil- mutilating this child. Right. Okay. So why do you think then that we get the ending we do? Is it because, like Ariel said, this is commentary on the way that we treat sexual predators and toxic masculinity? Like we just let it go, so the film is reflecting reality. You know, I I wish I had an answer to that. At this point, it's all speculation. We don't have Peckover or Khan here to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. I actually do think that it wasn't something that was seriously considered. It was just like, hey, we're making this fun movie about this little shitty teenager. That honestly is what I think. But again, I'm not either one of them. I don't know. I don't think there was any serious thought given to what Ariel is talking about. And that also might even be worse. (laughs) I don't completely agree because I think it's too ingrained in the narrative. Like, so much of this film, if people only watch this one time, I really, sorry, Ariel, I do encourage people to go back and watch it a second time because you will pick (laughs) up on microaggressions and little moments. Like, they are littered throughout this entire film, particularly in that first act, to give you clues not just that this character is terrible, but that it's actually happening all around. And I think what ends up happening is that the concession gets made at the end because this is a horror comedy. And we need a comedic stinger as opposed to a potentially more heavy-handed cathartic win for Ashley. But it could have been like, oh, there was a loose paint can that falls on his head. Like, that could have been a fun stinger ending, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, maybe that's where the, the sequelitis comes in as well. Leave yeah. that door open. Ugh. That's not even a heavy ending, though. No. That's the thing. That's <laughs> That ending should have been the uproarious, like, you see her flip him off and the crowd erupts and everybody's like, yeah, right. fuck that kid. Like, everybody's happy. And instead, the second ending Mm. is what caused the uproarious 
Oh, yeah. like, oh, we're joyous that we're going to get to see more of this. Her flipping like, the bird does on. does also get that. Yeah, it, it, it did elicit cheers, but it, that was like a, uh-huh. yeah, you go, bitch. And then, yeah, the, the, the stinger ending was the, oh, he's back at it. <laughs> he's doing it again. Crazy kids. <laughs> okay, so I have a like-minded text that I think you've both seen. Ariel, have you seen You, the series on Netflix? Mm. I have. I've actually watched all of it. Okay, so I'm wondering... How does this character differ or relate to the character of Joe, where he's a sociopath who kills people because he's madly in love with them, but we also cheer for him? Do we? Yeah, I 100% a bit. think people do. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. He's very humanized. He's he's kind of neutered in terms of his threat to an extent. Like even to the way that women fucking thirst after Penn Badgley as the oh, character, yeah. like they think he's so fuckable. But Badgley even acknowledged, like he was like, "No, y'all, don't. <laughs> y'all shouldn't be feeling this way about this character." Oh, and I think that's the difference between the 2016 film and now the 2019-2020 right. text. But the difference between the two is this: you is centered around this discourse that a lot of women live with every fucking day. Is this idea that you don't know? You don't really know who you're dating. Things come out about people all the fucking time. It's something that the forthcoming Promising Young Woman talks about a lot and addresses is this idea of, you know, men are all upstanding and they're only here to help you and they're only here to be gentlemen, but they're not. And like, you really focuses on that energy and talking about it, but also trying to humanize it in as much as we can kind of wrap our heads around the idea that someone can actually believe what they're doing is not bad. Mm -hmm. Right. Luke doesn't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Luke is not remorseful. Luke doesn't think that what he's doing is some good thing and he's doing something that's actually going to help Ashley. He doesn't think he's helping her find true love. He doesn't think he's helping her find her purpose in life and her, her meaning in life. All he thinks he's doing is getting exactly what he wants and anybody else be fucked if they get in the way. Like, that's that's literally it. He is just a narcissistic little fucking consumption <laughs> machine of dipshittery and nothing about him is remotely redeemable. Which isn't to say that Penn Bad- Badgley's character is redeemable. He's not. And you shouldn't really like him or romanticize mm-hmm. him but there's a softness to him and there's a humanity to we're him. also forgetting right. that the you has the internal monologue like that show is narrated by that character granted right. i don't mm-hmm. think that better i don't think that your reception of better watch out would have been improved by an internal monologue from luke because it would have it wouldn't have been as nuanced as what you does either that or it would have been exactly what we're already hearing him say well yeah so no, <laughs> well exactly yeah, yeah luke, luke is vocalizing his thoughts there is no filter there so i don't think a, an no. internal monologue from luke would have like given us more insight into his character mm-hmm. no it wouldn't have it would have just been more angry misogynistic bullshit about like eh, she won't fuck me when mm-hmm. fuck you <laughs> i hate this fucking kid man i fucking hate this fucking kid oh man i love it because i feel like that's the explicitly designed purpose like i do find it difficult to hear that people like this kid like i like the performance because i think it's so convincing i i I haven't seen anyone say they like the kid 
I think they admire the moxie and even like revel in the moments where, you know, he stabs Ashley and then dances like, oh, that's such a cute moment. And you're like, oh, that makes me fucking sick. Okay, wait. During the dancing scene, I'm like, oh, that's so fucking maniacal and evil. And But it's a good touch to show how fucking insane he is. But mm-hmm. I'm not sitting there like, oh, look at that kid <laughs> dancing after he stabbed that girl in the neck. Well, that that's <laughs> good, Trace. That means you're not a sociopath. That means you're a good person. <laughs> I just, oh my God, no, he's so fucking terrible. I want someone to break him. Can I break him? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Actually, and, and this is maybe too much of a hypothetical because this is not the movie we have. Do you think if he died somehow, or specifically he died by Ashley's hands, would that make this movie more digestible Palatable. for you? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Not even a little bit because unfortunately the problem is is that she is set up. She has to be a victim because if she kills him, she's the culprit Mm -hmm. because that's how it goes. We have seen women imprisoned for life, even put on death row for killing their rapists who were in the process of violently raping Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. And particularly if you're not white. Exactly. Exactly. Or if you're trans, like the violence against women of all walks of life Mm -hmm. in situations like these immediately sets a precedent that there is no good way out of this at all. Like, as soon as the flip came and everything started happening, it was just, fuck. Yeah. Like, there was no silver lining. Even the, the the middle finger at the end, I'm like, cool, thanks for the hollow touchdown. I will say, too, that one thing with the Ashley character, because, again, she spends most of the second and third act of this movie duct taped, where she cannot speak. And so she's, this, this uh-huh. act is only eye acting. But it was a conscious effort on both Peckover and Khans' part that she never once begged for her life. Or do anything like that. And also Peckover did say that... So they actually did rewrite a lot of the character of Ashley after the actress Olivia Dion basically sat down. And he said he did like 10 hours of like video conferencing calls with her where like they were going through the script page by page. And she was like, well, as a woman, I don't think that this would happen. I think this needs to happen Ooh. a lot. He, he rewrote a lot of Ashley after mm-hmm. conversing with her. See, this is why you collaborate with the people that you're trying to portray. Well, exactly. And nothing that Ashley does is wrong. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely nothing that Olivia de Young does as an actress or as a character in the film that leads me to think they didn't have a woman's input in this. In fact, that actually confirms what I was thinking, that they must have gotten some some extra vantage point on this. Because everything that she does makes sense. And a lot of what she does is based on both self-preservation mm-hmm. and survival instinct. And yep. it makes sense but isn't it also sorry that, that sounds really antagonistic towards you and i apologize it does, yes. like, um, no not at all i don't think no so. but, but i think it all comes down to like how the film treats her right because yeah you, i think you're right i think she does make all the right decisions she does handle things as coolly as possible even before the twist happens when she just thinks mm-hmm. there's an intruder upstairs she makes all the right decisions it does get a little screamy when she's like you know she mentioned something about something upstairs blah blah, blah. Oh, so you always run to the attic why would you like why would you be in the attic blah 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 but I, I don't know. Like, do you think the film treats her poorly by not giving her more to do outside of being duct taped? No, I think the entire purpose of the film was to make her was was to debilitate her, and it succeeded brilliantly. Mm-hmm. I think that the problem is the film. It's not an issue of whether or not they gave her enough to do. In that situation, you can't do shit. And they represented what it what it would be like to have absolutely no say 
Like, she did the best she could to get out of there, and she did it well. The movie is designed for her to lose. I think uh, that's actually what I was coming at earlier. And and again, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but everything that happens and the way that the film treats Luke feels very real as to how abusers and rapists are treated. And you've you've touched on this earlier in, in this recording, Ariel. It feels all too real. Exactly. And that's part of what makes it unpalatable. Which is very funny, though, because if you go back and read some of the reviews, like Ariel, you did mention that a lot of the reviewers seem to either be missing it or dancing around it or just not even addressing it. P.S. 89% of Rotten Tomatoes, average score of 7 out of 10, with a letterbox score of 6.4 out of 10. A lot of reviewers actually did touch on like, oh, this is this is ridiculous. This 13-year-old boy can plan for everything. He's so well-prepared. He knows how to that's what the comedy comes this in whole thing. Right? And you're just like, okay, so this is what you're focusing on. You're not willing to address the dialogue the film wants to have. You want to point out how implausible the logistics are. Okay. But here's the thing, and this is where it becomes kind of that unreviewable film. How on earth are you supposed to have that conversation when the film makes it impossible to have that right. conversation without ruining it? Yeah, right. Like, you can't talk about everything that he does and how this discusses toxic masculinity without spoiling the entire film because the twist comes immediately. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing with, like, what was it? We Summon the Darkness? Right. Oh yeah, yeah, very yeah. Oh yes, very true. Spoilers for that, everyone. But um, yeah. Sorry. No, 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 no. no. You, <laughs> it's fine. Um, but yeah, that's very similar. Where at the end of the first act, oh, your protagonists are your villains, ostensibly. But it's a twist. Pretty much, yeah. That's an interesting example. Okay, so big spoilers now for <laughs> <laughs> darkness. But Ariel, okay. I didn't like that one either. <laughs> well, I'm I'm intrigued though because we're we're then talking about female sociopathy wait wait wait. yeah pause on that really which my, my issue with that movie because the reason i actually think that think that better watch out's better than with someone that aren't is because it at least doesn't it doesn't oh can i say puss out can i say that is that bad sure it doesn't pull any punches yes. better watch out to me doesn't pull any punches at least in terms of how dark it wants to get whereas we some of the darkness which i think is a really good first half of a movie it sets up something that you think is going to be this crazy, dark, violent, batshit climax, and then it, like, walks it back. That was my issue with that movie. The thing that pissed me off about that one is kind of the opposite of what pissed me off about this. Is... <laughs> Y'all know already, spoilers, spoilers yeah. everywhere, and now for a second film, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but it sets up either the potential of strong female leads as heroines or strong female leads as murderers. Mm-hmm. And... That's fucking awesome. And then it reduces them to fucking bickering, hair pulling, screaming, childish stereotypes. And I'm sitting there the whole time like, are you fucking kidding me? They were so cool in the beginning. What the fuck happened? And they're also acolytes of Johnny Knoxville. So they're just following a man's orders instead of being their own like independent women. Yeah, that one didn't bug me quite as much of the fact that it literally turns them into petty Mm -hmm. hair pulling bitches. And I'm like, yep. are you fucked? Like, ser- fuck? Nope. No. Well, we, nope. we love to craft shit up, as in the craft 1996. <laughs> oh, yep. Don't give me girls. Give me girls who fight. That's what audiences <laughs> want. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I do wonder if it was sustainable, and I'm not sure if it is possible, would the film better watch out again? If it was sustainable to have the plot twist come in in the third act so that you can actually spend more time 
my only thing is that that would mean that we have two acts of Garrett pretending to be an intruder. Yeah, right. it doesn't, it wouldn't work. I think it would get boring. I mean, again, like, let's say we're watching The Strangers, right? And then, like, the beginning of Act 3, it's Scott Speedman who's just pissed because Liv Tyler turned out his proposal, you know? <laughs> God, I can imagine that film, too. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie, so I can't <laughs> quite remember, but thanks. That sucks. Like... Well, the whole premise of that movie is that, yeah, like, Scott Speedman just proposed to Liv Tyler. She said no, and they go back home, and then they're, like, upset, and then, they, like, the, the, the they intruders have the, come in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. There are people who criticize that film because they're like, well, what the fuck was the point of him doing the ring? Where does that get followed up? And you're like, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's it's just their emotional state for the whole film. (laughs) It just happens to be on that day because shit happens on every day. With this, I don't think Better Watch Out is... This is where I get into a really weird place. And it's kind of like I prefaced. I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think it's a badly made film. I don't really think there's anything that they could have done differently that would it's benefit the, premise the itself. film. Exactly. It's the film itself. It's the plot. It's the concept. And just some people are going to love it. And some people are going to fucking loathe it. And I can't. Yeah. Like I was having both times watching it. I had visceral reactions watching it. Did your husband watch this with you? Or had he seen it before? He did not. He has not. I asked him if he wanted to watch it with me the second time, and he steadfastly refused. (laughs) He was like, I saw your reaction. I'm going (laughs) to take a couple steps back. He wants to watch it, but he, I think, was also very aware of how fucking mad it made me and was like, Mm -hmm. maybe we should wait a little while before I watch this. I'm like, okay, that's fine. (laughs) There's always another Christmas. He's going to go watch it in the bedroom, under the covers, like laptop in in his lap, like... Headphones on, (laughs) pretending it's not happening. It's like like he's sneaking pornography. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, what are you doing there? Oh, just jacking off. Definitely not watching Better Watch Out. I'm just imagining Bart on like <laughs> faux masturbating in order to watch better, better watch, watch out. Out. because I hate it so fucking much. No, we will probably watch it together at some point. I have no doubt. I will just sit there being fucking furious the entire fucking time. It's no different than like us watching Crawl together. I wind up standing and pacing the entire time because it's just so intense that I'm like, nope, can't sit down. Too tense. So it'll yeah. be the same thing, just anger. <laughs> you should actually do like an entire YouTube channel of just your reactions to watching things because it's highly entertaining. I feel like it would piss people off. <laughs> uh, as Joe and I have discussed many a time, you have to assume that everything you do will piss someone off, but there will also be people that want to watch it. Uh, okay, there you, we're starting a poll. <laughs> people on social media, would you like to see me react to horror movies? Um, I want to <laughs> see you react to Better Watch Out. Maybe that's too oh sadistic. <laughs> I mean, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> Pay me. Give me money. The Ariel Fisher's Patreon. <laughs> if you guys want to do it for like a horror queers Patreon thing as like an extra YouTube episode or something, I will suffer that, you know, air quotes indignity just so that people can watch how fucking mean I get when I get angry. <laughs> Tell you what, Ariel, we'll put it at the $50 level, and <laughs> we'll do a similar one for me watching the fucking Lizzie McGuire movie. How's uh, that? Yes, yes. So I have to make Joe watch Lizzie McGuire one day. It's going to be great. Those are comparable? Uh, yes, for me. 
After two years, it is. No, we, we, there are a lot of horror connections in the Lizzie McGuire movie that we never Okay, realized. move on. Move on. Anyway, <laughs> I'm done. No, no, no. So I, I think even though we won't have a video of Ariel reaction to this, I think the next best thing we can get is going through the plot. Maybe a truncated one. I think so. <laughs> and just, we'll go through it here and just, we'll just, we'll see what happens. Okay. Yeah. So I do want to spend a little bit more time than we normally would on the front half of this film, because I do think that there's so many cues, as I mentioned, because I didn't even realize it, but this movie opens with a girl building a snowman and then a boy whacking it down in yep. front of her and then yep. chasing her. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it cues you from the beginning that toxic masculinity is the subject at play here. Yep. Yeah. And, and that it exists in children and it will only get worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that means he likes you. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to harp on it again because we've already talked about it a little bit. But what do we think about the fact that this is a gay man creating this? I think it's astute. I think he's acknowledging things that he sees in straight men that. I mean, maybe we have an advantage of Ooh. being outside of. No, I, I mean, I didn't even think about that, but you're right, though. I mean, like, mm-hmm. I grew up hating straight men all the time because they were always assholes to me. So <laughs> And also to women. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've, I've never understood the sort of machismo bullshit tomfoolery that comes out of masculine and now recognizing it as toxic masculinity particularly when it comes to like the way men talk about women and women's bodies and wanting to fuck them. So mm-hmm. I've always been like, I don't get this. And I thought that that was because I'm gay. So I'm not in competition with them. So I could see it better. But I also just like to think that I didn't have a mother who asked my dad if he's ever had a dick in his mouth. <laughs> that tweet. might be a, a saving grace. Yeah, probably. Mom, tweet me. Let me know. <laughs> the sexuality of the filmmaker, though, I didn't even know until you guys brought it up, honestly. Mm -hmm. So it never entered my mind. It's clearly a film that's made and written by a man or men. That much was evident to me. But beyond that, like I thought that everything Ashley does is realistic enough for me to think, okay, they're not necessarily trying to be assholes. It doesn't have any bearing on my reception of the film personally. But uh, and like the tone of this film felt very much like a gay man's sense of humor. Maybe that's too much of a generalization, but... It felt very acidic, blackly comedic, like very sassy, uh, okay. but not not super like I don't know, gay. Well, it's definitely pushing buttons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I now that I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, this does feel akin to something like a Jawbreaker, right? Where it's like mean yes. black comedy. If you even want to go back that far, and I'm only saying this because I've been doing a John Waters marathon, but you can even go back to the tastelessness of John Waters films, which also feature a lot of things that I would never be in films today. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we're introduced to Ashley as she's driving. There is a fake out where as she's driving, we see a black car that seems to follow her. And I love that it's like, no, it just comes to nothing. It's just that we're meant to assume a black car means something ominous. Because, yeah, important thing to, I mean, whether you've seen the trailer or not, like the premise for this film is girl babysits boy and there's a home invasion. Like, yeah. that is the premise. Walking into this movie, that's what you think. And so, yeah, this this first act is doing everything it can to make you believe that premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are insidious forces in this suburban neighborhood. Yeah. So our introduction to the boys is as Luke is looking at internet research on how women being scared releases pheromones. And Garrett is playing some kind of first-person shooter. 
So it's like, there's your characters. <laughs> I love that you know what first-person shooter is. <laughs> of course I do. You're not a gamer. Just it's, it's, I'm very proud of you. I know my <laughs> Halo bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it sets everything up. Well, it's interesting, too, now that we've had this uh, discussion about Garrett mm-hmm. being unaware of his sexuality or closeted gay or bi that mm. he's playing the first person shooter he's doing like the hyper masculine thing i say this with air quotes really don't work on an audio medium no the, I, mean, I, I just say i say quote unquote that's just what i do yeah so like the quote unquote hyper masculine mm-hmm. thing because he's do, like that's what that is and he's the one who's presumably hiding something so right yeah. But I find they're both very performative. Even though I think Luke is undeniably an asshole, this is posturing. It's macho posturing where he's saying, oh, I know what women want. I've done the research. And Garrett is just like, bullshit. Also, you've got a fucking fetus monitor under your bed because you're a goddamn oh. mama's boy. Mm-hmm. Totally unrelated thematic, not thematic question. Did y'all buy all their American accents? I did. I did. I did too. They're, I actually, all, they're all Australian. Everyone all except for them? the parents. Everyone except for the parents are Australian. Seriously? Yep. Mm-hmm. Olivia de Young and uh, Ed Oxenbold, who's Garrett, they're both in that Shyamalan's The Visit. They're the brother and sister in that movie. I did not know that. Yep. I know. It's impressive. They did this like two years after filming The Visit together. But yeah, every teenager and child in this movie is Australian. The only non-Australians is Virginia Madsen and Patrick Warburton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was also filmed in Australia, which yeah. is why the spiders look weird. It was cheaper, yeah. They are real. They Oh, that's actually a really weird anecdote, too, though. So they were going to use CGI for the spiders, but they couldn't afford it in the budget. And Olivia and basically Olivia de Young said, what if we just used real ones and save <laughs> just you? Just put like, them on my face. <laughs> save you like the thousands of dollars to use CGI spiders. And she did it. So they were real spiders, and it was all because of her. Which makes so much sense, because those spiders in Australia are like, you know, mothballs. Way bigger. Mm-hmm. No, like there, there are bigger. I once somebody I met somebody once who once told me that they left their house for for a weekend trip and came back and a some spider the size of both of my hands put together made a web across her entire living room. Oh my god! So like, no. there's infinite. Oh those spiders are small by comparison. Oh, mm. ick! Oh, big ick! Sorry to anybody who doesn't like spiders. Oh, I don't like <laughs> spiders. So. <laughs> So that whole thing was like, <laughs> no, please. Yeah, very uncomfortable. Mm. Okay, so after we meet the boys, then Ashley arrives, and this is where we get that really uncomfortable scene between Patrick Warburton's Robert, Robert. and her. And, I mean, I guess the other important thing is that there's very firmly babying that's established by Deandra's character to her son, Luke. So, you know, he's not allowed to watch horror movies because they'll give him nightmares. We get Chekhov's pencil for sleepwalking. Yeah. (laughs) Chekhov's sleepwalking pencil. (laughs) (laughs) Really rolls off the tongue. It really does. But I, I love how much this feels like exposition, and then it turns out to be instrumental. It's like, hey, we're hammering home the themes of this film. But if you don't know to look for it because you think home invasion, it can just slip by. Well, this movie is nothing if not efficient, because, again, it's the, it's like distinct three-act structure of a 90-minute movie. Oh, yeah. It's very fast-paced, considering what it's managing to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we also learn that Ashley is potentially looking to meet up with her boyfriend, Ricky, who was played by Alex Mikic. Sure, Mikic, sure. I don't know, but he's cute, uh, I like him. Yeah, and 
this doesn't please Luke. So this will become an important plot point because, of course, he likes to tell Ashley that she has terrible taste in men. And he also tries to drink a bottle of champagne as though that somehow is going to impress her. It's a 12-year-old. My, my whole thing is, oh, it's a 12-year-old. Like, none of this, like, I'm watching this like, oh, this kid's a fucking idiot from the get-go. Yep. <laughs> but that's also where it disarms you, right? Because you're watching this like, oh, this is just a silly 12-year-old. And so it makes the twist that happens at the 32-minute mark of this movie that much more of, like, a like a whiplash type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, oh, it makes just the... Flames on the side Flames? of my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, in advance of this episode, we have to release like a picture of that and then like put Ariel Fisher during this episode. <laughs> Can we do like the face swap app? So yes! you instead oh of Madeline Kahn. I approve. That's fine. You have my you have my my seal of approval to do that. <laughs> oh my god. Oh beauty. <laughs> Oh, dear. Um, Yeah, so odd events are also stacking up at this point. We had that black car. We've got the back door is constantly coming ajar. Someone is prank calling. And then there's a pizza that gets delivered. And we never see the pizza delivery man's face. And he just seems very odd. Oh, that's also cluing you into the type of movie you're about to get into. Because even this pizza delivery guy, who we don't see, you're right, is creepy towards Mm -hmm. Ashley. When he does like a, oh, yeah, and a... You have a really nice night. And then she's like, yeah, fine. Shuts the door in his face. (laughs) I do love her reactions to all of this. Like, to me, actually, one of the most uncomfortable pieces is when Robert compliments her on her sweater. And you can see her being like, I can't Mm. say anything. But Olivia de Young gives the little shudder kind of creepy ooh. And then she smiles it off. Yeah, yeah, and then she has to smile it off because that's what you do. You have to be a polite young woman. I was going to say, it's unfortunately what women have to do. I mean, not have to do, but that's what women, that's what society no, it has is told what women they, have, they to have to do. It's what they have to do to survive. I was at a bar once when I, uh, when I was in university. Some fucking asshole grabbed my ass while I was walking to the dance floor. Mm-hmm. And I turned around and literally just said, can you please not grab my ass? Like, I didn't yell i didn't say anything and he started screaming at me and calling me a fat ugly bitch and i would never fucking touch you you're so <sighs> fucking hideous da, da, da. and then we went onto the dance floor and and i like big butts came on so i laughed my ass off <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but like even in that situation i'm like can you please not do this to me please yeah. so like of course you know her employer answers the door and says something that is definitely inappropriate and it's mm-hmm. like Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. That's nice. What are my other options? I will take it. And based on her two boyfriends of choice, you definitely get the idea that she's been dealing with this type of shit for a lot of her life. Yep. And it's fucking hard, man. I mean, it's easy enough to look at her choices in men and be like, well, you know, she, and I'm not saying you're doing this, Trace, but like. Oh, no. Sorry. uh, (laughs) No, I'm really. No, I'm saying. Call him out, Ariel. (laughs) No, 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 because you're not. You're not doing this at all. But it's, it's easy to look at her character and go, well, her taste in men sucks, which is, which is what the main character does is what Luke is doing. But so, hey, my phrasing was wrong because I said boyfriends of choice, which automatically implies that it's her fault for picking those boyfriends, which is not what I meant. I no. did actually mean just the the boyfriends in her life. The, the boyfriends no, in I her know. life. <laughs> I actually think that she's leveled up, though, like because of what we see of the two. Like it's a nice compare and contrast where mm-hmm. there's Rick is a better. certain judgmentalness yeah. that we have to Jeremy because he's obviously quite dumb. 
But, you know, from what we see of Ricky, he seems like a really supportive, I'm not going to force you to have sex. Like, there is that moment where Luke is flabbergasted that he hasn't been hitting it twice a day. Fucking Luke. Oh, my God. I I forgot about that Some of the things that come out of this kid's Uh... mouth. Holy shit. Also, I'm sorry to break the momentum here, but I really have to pee. But y'all keep talking, and I'm just going to, (laughs) like, slide back in in, like, two minutes, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I, I find in that moment, there's an uncomfortableness between them where you can tell Ricky and Ashley have had these conversations and it just hasn't, you know, it hasn't gone there yet. And that's the thing for me is like, you know, her boyfriends of choice. I'm not assuming that what Trace is saying is, oh, well, you know, she picks bad men. To the contrary, my, my point with that is to say that like, you can see that even if women are strong and can mm-hmm. protect themselves like Ashley can and Ashley is a good character and yeah. now i now i credit olivia for a lot of that work mm-hmm. but even still at that age and she is still young she is what 19 18 19 uh, something like yeah, that yeah somewhere around there cuz she's about to go to college exactly so she's still quite young so I mean, I was picking the wrong men for most of my fucking adult life. (laughs) Let's be honest. And we don't necessarily see all the red flags or because of how we're raised, we're taught to dismiss or excuse some of the red flags. And some of us aren't. Some of us are raised in a different environment that allows us to be able to not only call that shit out, but Mm -hmm. to be able to stand our ground on it a lot better. And you can see that she very much has not and at that age, that to me feels very normal because I was definitely experiencing very similar things at that time. They may not have pressured right. me into sex, but they still probably would have been possessive and they still probably would have been boneheads and they still probably <laughs> wouldn't have really been my match. But they liked me and right. that was enough. Uh, and sometimes that yeah. really is the qualifying factor. Yep. That's the vulnerability of relationships. And I think particularly in those teenage years where you haven't figured out exactly what it is you're looking for, sometimes somebody paying attention to you when you feel vulnerable or when you're looking just to be recognized and acknowledged, that can be enough. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the other important thing is like we pass judgment on these two men based on things that Luke says when we think he's not a little shit as well, Mm -hmm. right? So he talks about how he doesn't like these boys and they're bad for her. But he's also saying this because he wants to fuck her. So he's automatically trying to diminish them to make himself look better. Well, it's the ultimate nice guy TM situation. Oh my god, if I had a nickel for every fucking time when I was a teenager that some guy would say that to me. I've literally lost count of how many times guys who wanted to date and or fuck me had prefaced with you date so many assholes you really Mm -hmm. just need a nice guy do they then put their arm around you yeah yeah they put their arm around me they got stubborn and refused to drive me home oh no they crawled into bed with me when i was drunk at a party oh i'm not even kidding these these things all happened that is some Veronica Mars shit right there. I have never okay. understood the wanting to sleep, or I'm sorry, rape an unconscious person. I have never understood that compulsion. 
Because it's power, Trace. I, exactly. I, I mean, they I, want I, I to know possess is, somebody but... else and assert themselves on other people. It doesn't matter whether they're conscious or not. I yeah, know. and that and that situation, that specific instance, we were at a friend's house who was having a party because his parents were out of town. And uh, I was both drunk and high. And I think I was 17, maybe. Maybe I was 17. And yep. he was a couple of years older than me. And everybody was still downstairs. I was tired. So I went upstairs and I fell asleep on his bed. And then I woke up to him sliding into bed behind me and starting to grab me. And I just, without missing a beat, I just took off the blankets, sat up, got out of bed and went into one of the guest bedrooms where one of my friends was sleeping and just crawled into bed there and curled up into a ball and went to sleep because I was like, I'm not, I can't, I can't, I, I fucking can't. And that was yeah. the end of that discussion. But that's stuff that happens on like a regular basis. Like I'm willing to bet money that that has happened to like half your listeners. Oh, of that, I have no doubt. We, 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 we've had listeners reach out to us with stories. Stories. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. So are we on the makeout part? Is that where we are? Uh, we're, we're just, yeah, more or less. We're just talking. <laughs> it's fine. Well, we were talking about the boyfriends and that like. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Okay, well, let's let's get to this reveal then, shall we? So um, after Luke tries to put this move on her and she rejects him, they see a figure in the window. He accidentally tosses her phone in the fish tank. I do like the reveal later on that he has already pre-wrapped it so that he can get it back out. Mm-hmm. That's something I hadn't even thought about. I mean, narratively speaking, there's a lot of stuff that happens where... It's like the filmmakers were like, well, the audience is going to ask, how did this happen? How did they do this? How did they do this? And they actually do a really good job of showing it. We get the montage at the end of the film, but even like whenever um, the Jeremy character comes before he gets hanged, like he like walks by something and it's the, the slingshot. That yeah. Put, yeah, it's the catapult that put the brick into the house. Yeah. They're devious little fuckers. Okay. Garrett comes back because he has apparently been missing this whole time. Like he supposedly went home, but now he's back. And this is where the window breaks upstairs. They discover the phone. The internet is out. Ashley's car tire has been punctured with a switchblade. It's all standard like home invasion stuff, right? Very much so. The first 30 minutes of this movie, I almost feel like disarm you. At least, again, not from the toxic masculinity stuff, but just from basic genre structure. What's trying to distract you to say like, hey, don't look at what we're actually doing. Look at these shiny, flashy intruder things. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, so they go upstairs to try to get the gun. They end up in the attic to try to avoid the man who's sweeping the hallway. This is where we get the spider scene. Mm -hmm. And then Luke assumes his heroic role that he's been itching to play. So he helps her. Then he goes for the gun. They end up hiding in his closet. I do love that they activate what looks like a children's toy. It looks like a rattle. Yeah, you're just like, this is way too young a toy for a boy of his age. But that's the thing, right? Because his mother infantilizes him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he still has, like, he still has the heartbeat machine that he uses to fall asleep that's under his bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He is, <laughs> this kid is deeply traumatized well, and no, regressed. And... He's deeply traumatized. He is fully functional in society, which is, I think, even the scariest part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what makes him a sociopath as opposed to a psychopath, right? Because he doesn't have the remorse, but he can still fit in and play the role. Mm. Yeah. Which is genuinely terrifying. Because if he was Mm -hmm. just crazy, nope. Because if he was just a (laughs) psychopath, then it would be obvious and he would have been discovered. But that's the thing about this that makes me so fucking mad and so uncomfortable is that that's 
so many people. The amount mm-hmm. of people who are able to get away with, and I, I'm not going to say behavior like this, because this is obviously a caricature. Yeah, it's very yeah. much hyperbolic, yeah. This is the worst, yeah. hopefully, that it, we will ever see. Well, eh. yeah. <laughs> Okay. But it's... <laughs> Let me walk that back. <laughs> no, but no, but this this is... Like, don't cut any of this out, you know? Because mm-hmm. this is... I know, like, we are trying to dance around this so fucking hard, but let's just lay it on the table. Is it sociopathy or is it fucking society? Because this is what we breed and allow men to do. Exactly. And so much of what men are allowed to get away with, and I'll I'll say it here just so that anybody who decides to get mad has no leg to stand on, the reason w- what we allow most men to get away with in society, to clarify. Mm-hmm. It is so borderline sociopathic behavior. Yeah. It's this notion of possession, and it's particularly bad with white, straight men. Yeah. Yeah. And like this... Ugh. I would actually even argue that it's the same way with white, gay men. But the difference is gay male society is inherent... Y'all tell me if this sounds weird. It's inherently sexual to where most of the time that behavior is seen as okay. Because it's not the same dynamic. No, I get what you're saying. It it expresses itself and is allowable as a more sexualized form. Like even Ariel, your example of being groped at a bar. I was like, oh, I've been groped at a bar. A hundred percent, like without my consent. And it's like, but it's okay because you're gay. If you're talking about unsolicited nudes, you know, you go on one of the apps and it's like, hey, you don't have to say hi first. You just immediately send your nudes immediately. But again, though, that's like a... It's more acceptable somehow. Well, but but again, like an app that even though it's a quote unquote dating app, it's a hookup app. So it's like there's an, it's like an unspoken social contract there where it's like okay well that's what you're asking for but see even that phrasing sounds bad right yeah (laughs) well exactly i do think the big distinction here though is that because it's men it will all get kind of washed away whereas when it happens to women they're disbelieved they are told to shut up they're told that they're hysterical and that they're overreacting Mm -hmm. whereas Mm -hmm. like if i tell someone that i was groped people might say oh well that's weird because you're a man but they wouldn't disbelieve me no they might just question your masculinity and yes right question anything to do with that yeah and i think that's the sexual angle you might have been referencing trace sorry yeah i mean yeah i'm not being as eloquent and i might be being more crude than i should be because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like, because I'm like in, in real time, like working out my thoughts on this. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why this episode's a little different. Ariel, yeah. continue. No, it's, it's, it's tough to work through because there are a lot of gray areas. So I think if we're going to specify in that what we, or at least what I am talking about here is the relationship between straight cis men, mm. uh, predominantly white right. and straight women, or at least straight presenting women. Yeah, right. The discourse is that there is a powerlessness for the women and there is an inappropriateness to the male behavior. And mm-hmm. even with Robert, with the with the father, to the point where if a woman were to call out that compliment at the beginning and say, um, I preferred if you didn't do that, the response would be a very socially acceptable. Oh, relax, honey. I was just giving you a compliment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the world we're talking about. None of this is to devalue or delegitimize the complex and clearly problematic and nuanced 
aspects of sexuality and consent that exist mm-hmm. in the in the mm-hmm. gay community or even notions of sexual assault as it pertains to male survivors, which is a very serious issue that very often doesn't get a lot oh. of airtime. Yes. And it's not to invalidate any of that. No, we, we, and, and Joe and I have been corrected on that, too. We, we took a matter of male abuse lightly in a single white female episode, and uh. we were promptly corrected. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. And we try to become more aware of that. Because, yeah, you're right. it's not talked about enough. And it's also because when men are victims of sexual assault, they are too ashamed. Uh, see? Yeah. I'm generalizing. But a lot of them, I feel like, feel like they can't say anything because that makes them less masculine. Well, exactly. And the idea that it would happen to them in the first place, particularly when it's at the hands... If it happens to them at, to them at the hands of a man, then... There is the questioning of their masculinity or their heterosexuality, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it becomes very toxic in and of itself. And if it happens at the hands of a woman, they get congratulated. Oh, my God, oh, yeah. you had sex with an older woman and she just decided to take the reins? Good for you. No, that's You're not so what that is. sexually virile. Ooh, yeah. wow. Well, exactly. And when you see these instances of female predators who attack like young men or young boys when they're in elementary school or in high school yeah. and... The discourse becomes, well, a man can't be raped because he has to be physically aroused in order for that to happen. And that is usually an involuntary reaction. I will say that I feel the need to say this because I do know male survivors very intimately and very Mm -hmm. personally, that if any of this is triggering at all, I do apologize. Well, I think this this episode in general is... We might post a a content warning. warning. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Which I mean, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. no, Ariel. This is literally why we asked you on because <laughs> we want to have these conversations. Joe gave me a clue to, to how you, what you thought about this one beforehand, and I was like, I'm really excited about that yeah. because I do like this movie. I think it's a lot, <laughs> I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I, <laughs> God damn it, Trace! But but but, 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 but <laughs> if it was just me and Joe sitting here, like talking about how yeah. fun the movie was, we would miss out on your thoughts. Yes. And and I think that that's a voice that needs to happen. It doesn't happen a lot on this podcast because we don't talk about. I mean, we do talk about sexual assault, but it's not usually in this much depth and detail. Because yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so long as I'm not upsetting anyone or making anyone uncomfortable, that's the last thing I want to do. We will preface this with a content warning just in case people come into it unknowingly because, yeah. Yeah. Well, leave it to me. Bring me on a show and I'll make it heavy. <laughs> no, but, but sorry, I, 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 I like that. Like, I, I'm really, really glad you're on this episode and I'm glad that you're comfortable talking about this stuff. I would rather have these conversations than pretend that they're not worth having right. and say, like, well, we should just talk about the movie. If there's a better more important conversation to be had that can be illuminating, then I would much rather. And that's not to say, again, like, oh, this movie's not worth talking about. It's that this movie, to me, elicits these kinds of heavy, complicated, challenging, uncomfortable conversations. And I think that's a fucking good thing. It's what we want from media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I definitely agree with you. If that is the kind of conversation that this film can elicit and it can focus on those issues and the people talking about it can focus on those issues, then I'm willing to hate it a little bit less. Well, (laughs) (laughs) but Arrow, so here's the thing. I mean, again, I saw this movie for the first time over four years ago. I've seen it several times since then. And I've never had a discussion about this, about this movie. So while I'm quote unquote, sorry that we made you watch this movie and that you had to endure this movie (laughs) i i do think it's good though that you're here to give us this insight and give us this perspective and have this conversation with us because it's just not something that we would have had otherwise Mm -hmm. i'm always happy to have those conversations 
I mean, I don't want to fast forward too much to the plot, but like, so the twist happens because I actually really wanted to get to if it's if y'all think it's important to talk about, but the breast groping scene. I yeah. So they they play this game of truth or dare, and this is where Luke uses his advantage. Now I'm using air quotes to ask Ashley about her sexual history, and then he uses Garrett's dare of him to then grope her breast without her consent. I think the exact quote is like, I dare you to grab her tit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. That's pretty much exactly it. Oh, yeah. I, I dare you to touch her tit. That's what it is. But yeah, it's not just touching. He doesn't just poke it. It's like a lengthy, extended, like, I'm grabbing this and I'm talking about it as I'm doing it. Yeah. And he's staring at her in the eyes and he's making a whole thing of it. Oh, I can see what all the fuss is about. It's fucking excruciating. That, to me, was the most triggering scene in the entire film. I do like her comeback, though, where she's like, it felt like a little boy just felt me up. I did appreciate that. I do also want to give props to Peckover because he shoots this in such a way that we are seeing Luke and his disgusting reaction. I think in the hands of another filmmaker, we might have actually seen him grope her or something. Yeah. You're not seeing the action, so it's not fetishizing it. That is important. That is exceptionally important. It's also part of what makes that scene so hard to watch because you're you're looking at both you have to watch the rapist yeah well yeah you're you're watching his grotesque reaction and you're also watching her attempt to just pull herself out of the situation so that she doesn't have to live in it Mm -hmm. and that and i've i've been there i have had that look i have had that face and that experience of just just you're not here you're not here yeah, just survive this moment and then get away. Because a lot yep. of what this Luke character reminds me of, obviously we can compare him to any number of men, but especially towards the end whenever um, oh, whenever he wants her to like say the answer to something when he, she says she, she knows why his mom stopped tucking him into bed, it reminds me so much of the Peter Curtin character from Copycat. Mm. Like this is a 13-year-old version of that character. Right. I don't think I've seen it. Oh, oh my god. Oh my god, Ariel. <laughs> <laughs> Not to gatekeep, but it's so good. You should definitely check it's it out. It's Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter in a Silence of the Lambs-ish type movie where someone is copycatting the most famous serial killers in history. And Sigourney Weaver is the criminal psychologist and Holly Hunter is the detective on the case. And it's really fucking good. But the, the copycat is like, is Luke, but age 27. <laughs> Yeah, he has like no defining personality except for his whiteness and his inability to basically get an erection. Mm -hmm. Mm, The standard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's 1995. It's fucking awesome. It's highly recommend watching it. I know of it. I don't actually think I knew even the the whole premise. Like I've heard of it. I know it exists. So now I have to go and watch it. It's very (laughs) much like an R-rated CBS procedural, but like good quality. (laughs) And prestige (laughs) actresses. And prestige actresses. And Dermot Mulroney's in it. Like it's, it's great. Yeah. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, he's Holly Hunter's partner in it. Interesting. Yeah, you Very may not love him, though, because he's a little icky in hindsight. Oh, uh, I don't know about that. But well, he's he's like a smooth talker, right? Like, I think one of the things that this conversation has helped to like illuminate for me is that when you start to pay attention to the way that presumably straight male characters are reacting to women you can start to see a lot of, I don't want to call them microaggressions, but just the the uncomfortable interactions that they have where it's like, it's complimentary, but it's sexualized. Well, those are, those are microaggressions in the same way that you think about, you know, 
commenting on a black woman's hair in a certain right. way is also a microaggression. Oh my God. It looks like it's just an uncomfortable situation. That discomfort is the aggression. I have literally been in a room. Oh, because it was when I was waiting tables. I was hosting at a restaurant. And an older white woman asked one of the black waitresses if she could uh. touch her hair. Oh, no. Fuck off. And I was Fuck. just standing there like, it was like a no. car crash. <laughs> where, oh, my God. Like, you can't look away. <laughs> it's happening, but it's like it happened in slow motion. And the waitress played along and she was like, yeah, sure, you can touch it. But I was because just. Because she fucking has to. I don't yeah, even know what. Like, yeah. it was the most uncomfortable I've been in my entire life. And given the situations I've been in my life, that's saying something. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. It's a microaggression. Mm. What the father says to her when she comes to the door, what Robert says to her is a microaggression. Beyond the reveal, every single thing that happens is an overaggression. But before that reveal, every single thing Luke does <laughs> is a, a microaggression. microaggression. <laughs> what I love is the smut. I mean, love, again, that's in quotes. <laughs> the smug whenever he's when he's done feeling her up and he's like how did that feel and he has that uh, smile that's like you liked it didn't you Oof. yeah it's what a 12 year old would think a sexual encounter is mm-hmm. yeah because it's a, it's what men ask women like oh was that good for you did you like that wasn't i the best lover you've ever which had? okay I, I would like to normalize though conversations mid-coitus post-coitus whatever when something is happening that you're not liking because i've been in sexual situations that i've been like i don't really like this that much but i have i've been too afraid to say something because i'm afraid of like disappointing or embarrassing my partner you know and i think that's something that's all too common because when it comes to sex people are so embarrassed about things or they don't want to offend their partner because it's such an intimate thing or it's such a a soft spot for people. And I wish that people would... Nor- and, and that's why, Joe, you and I made this joke. Oh, it was it was in Possessor, I think, where I mentioned how I'm very vocal in sex, not just in, like... um. Oh, yes. Yeah, you mentioned that when we were talking about Son of the Dead. Yes. Okay, one of our micro recent micro-queers episodes, though, where I'm very... um I'm vocal in sex, not just in my pleasure, but also if I'm, like, I like or don't like what's happening to me. Like, I'm very much like, mm-hmm. hey... Or, or if I'm like, hey, I want to do this to your body, is this okay? Which, for some people, might be very unsexy. But for me, it's like, hey, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. I'd rather not just, like, go to town on your asshole and then have you say, I don't like that. <laughs> I'm just imagining Trace being like, okay, how can I say this in a, like, sexy, sexy way? non-lecherous way? It's like, how do you like that? Can I go down on your <laughs> butthole? <laughs> no, I don't sound like a robot when I'm doing it, but but I, I, I can see it being, people viewing it as, oh, I'm ruining the mood by yeah. flat out saying can i do this to your body but that's something that i do because i'd rather have it out there than do it and feel the rejection of saying no i don't like that don't do it which is part of partly on me here's the thing like i agree with you 100 i think being able to talk about pleasure and how to receive it and how to give it Mm -hmm. during the experience is a vital life skill for everyone of all walks of life to have 100 percent I, and I'm sure other men and women and non-binary people like me who have experienced sexual assault where there was a vocal, verbal quality uh, to it, mm. makes it challenging. Okay. One of, the, one of the earliest encounters I had was when I was 14 and someone pinned me against the outside wall of my dad's house and repeatedly told me, you know you've always wanted this, you know you really like this, while feeling me up and trying to kiss me. Uh-huh. And... It took several repeated knees to the nuts to get him off of me before he actually let go. And then I went inside. But ever since, 
I struggle with stuff like that. Right. And I don't mind saying it because I know I'm not the only person who would. So it makes language during intercourse and the idea of conversing feel both necessary for safety and comfort as well as the experience of pleasure and also threatening. So it's a really weird place to be. Well, and I'm not, because again, I don't want it to seem like I'm like trying to like, I don't know, not, not compare, but conflate like your experience with mine because mine comes from very much like when I was afraid to like, vocalize what I wanted mm-hmm. and didn't want or whatever. It very much came from a place of people pleasing and yep. fear of rejection. Whereas mm-hmm. obviously your experience is different <laughs> than that. But both experiences are valid. And right. both experiences articulate the necessity of Yeah, but I I'm I'm just low I, I'm low to compare my insecurities with real trauma. But it's not really a comparison. Yeah, right. you're not okay. saying that they're on the same level. But as Ariel said, they're both valid. And I think arguably both important to hear. Mm-hmm. Very. Yeah. Like yeah. if nothing else, it demonstrates how essential communication can be. But also it's a weapon that can be wielded and it needs to be used in a way that can satisfy both parties. Yeah, exactly. And this movie really does address in a really interesting way how much language matters in certain situations and how it can create or diffuse threatening situations. The breast yeah. fondling scene actually is probably, I mean, it's... It's the closest we get to a sexual assault. But it's also film. the... Oh, sorry, Trace, I just need to cut you off. It is a sexual assault. It is the sexual assault okay. we've seen in this film. But it's also the most taboo moment in the film, right? Actually, sorry, we've been saying he's 13. The actor was 13. The character is supposed to be 12. Well, he's 12, but almost 13. Right. Yeah. But (laughs) it is a 12-year-old feeling up a 17-year-old. So we are watching a sexual assault between two minors in a film. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's the most taboo of subjects in this film. I'm glad you (laughs) clarified within the film. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. Obviously, there are more taboo (laughs) subjects out there. Oh, that's a different rabbit hole. Also, not wait, l- listeners, don't mistake that my laughter post statement is like me lightening the situation. It's very much an awkward, uncomfortable laughter. <laughs> it happens. It's what this whole episode, I think, is. Yeah. But I'm glad we're having it. I'm actually really excited for this episode to come out. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope it goes over well. <laughs> I, I have think it no doubt. will. Yeah, I think I think we're actually going to get a lot of respo- like, good responses from this. See, once you bring me on and it's nothing but, you know, werewolves and semen, and then you bring me on again and it's like serious in-depth discussions about bodily autonomy and sexual assault. But I think Jesus Christ, Ariel, we'll bring you back for the Lizzie (laughs) McGuire movie and we'll see if you can just burn that. (laughs) Wait, have you seen the Lizzie McGuire movie, Ariel? (laughs) I have not. Oh my God. Both of y'all need to shut the fuck up and go watch this. Stop the recording and go watch the Lizzie McGuire movie. (laughs) Spoilers for the Lizzie McGuire movie. Stop the podcast and come back. But I don't want to. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no, uh, you know what? Do I. Okay, we made you watch. Uh, we made you watch. Better watch out. I guess we won't make you watch the Lizzie McGuire movie. <laughs> I guess. I guess. When do I get that reprieve? I feel like I keep cutting you guys off from going through the plot. I'm sorry. No, it's. I do want to talk about the roofie because I will confess I've seen this movie as many times as Trace, mm. and mm-hmm. I only realized on this watch that that's what it was. Yeah. I didn't realize that that's what his plan was. I thought that he was just going to knock her out. And then when I realized that he's going to roofie her, then I realized that he intends to rape her. Yeah. And he probably read about that too. And there is that trailer worthy line of, oh, it's amazing we can go to the playground these days. (sighs) 
because the 12 year old still plays on a playground (laughs) but also this implication that you can get these adult things into the hands of children with that level of ease well it's what the friend gets from the parents right it's oxy it's not an actual roof wait it's garrett's parents right no It's Luke's parents. Garrett is fumbling in the bathroom at the beginning and spills all of these blue pills. It's the same. It's not Viagra. It's the Oxy that they were that they wound up using that he gave to Garrett to chill him the fuck out. And Deandra, Virginia Madsen, catches him and is like, what are you doing? I was looking for itching cream. And she's like top shelf and closes the door and can't be fucking bothered with him because she's not fucking conscientious enough to be like, why are you rooting through and spilling all of my tranquilizers? Mm -hmm. Please tell me this. It's so funny of me. Like, so funny of me. It's so funny for me to think because like they filmed the entire movie and like Virginia Madsen and Patrick Warburton came on for the last like couple days of shooting to film their scenes. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) I just can't. Like, this shoot seems just like a lot of emotion going around. I actually would love to talk to Olivia DeYoung about all this. (laughs) I mean, Chris Peckover, if you're listening, you can probably get in touch through him. Yeah, probably so. I believe they still communicate. Mm -hmm. That would be fascinating. And I will run the fuck away. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't make a movie. I'm sorry. Hides. It's no, you're fine. There's no need to apologize. I do also want to point out uh, another point that I hadn't realized before. So when Luke has them both tied up, so Ricky has been captured, beaten up. I do like Ricky, actually. I know I made a, a joke about the boyfriends, but I actually really do like Ricky. <laughs> yeah, no, he's good. He has his redeeming qualities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when Luke starts to talk about how he wants to call Jeremy, Ashley's other ex, who is played by Dacry Montgomery, who most um, people will now Dacre. No, no, sorry, I was going to cut you off, but I think you're about to go there. I was just going to say most people recognize him from Stranger Things. Oh, no, I was going to say he plays the Red Ranger in the Power Rangers reboot. Yeah. Oh, my God, Trace, like, update your references. Well, fun fact. (laughs) So, basically, he was about to go shoot that movie, and so when he did this movie, his reps were like, he cannot do any stunts. So, all of the stunts that he did, like, basically, his feet couldn't leave the ground when he was getting hanged. So. Yeah, they had to basically find a way to hang this character without letting Montgomery do any stunts. (laughs) So he could go be in Power Rangers. Well, I mean, at the time, I'm sure it seemed like a good trade-off because he was like, I'm going to go be a star. I liked the Power Rangers (laughs) reboot. I thought it was really good. (laughs) Yeah, that's a comment for another episode. It is, but (laughs) it's fine. (laughs) <laughs> Elizabeth Montgomery as Rita Repulsa eating Krispy Kreme in a Krispy Kreme donut shop while saying Krispy Kreme is really high camp and I love it. Yeah, and doesn't at all smack of American consumerism, but yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about the fact that Luke nearly fillets the gun as he says, I'm not a pervert? Um, I didn't catch that, I'm not gonna lie. I don't think I caught that either. He rubs the gun around his face a lot and just because I'm used to considering weapons as phallic objects, right. just the idea that he's interested in Ashley's sex life. But also, if you think about it, the idea at this particular moment, he's most interested in whether Ricky has been fucking Ashley. And I'm just like, he's talking about a man's penis while playing with a gun and rubbing it around his mouth. I think he he can clue into the innate phallicness, I guess, of the of the symbol Mm -hmm. but he's completely oblivious to what he's doing right i think that it plays into like his juvenile 
bullshit. And then he has no fucking clue what he's doing. Right. Personally. Yeah. But I like any excuse to call this kid a fucking dipshit. I mean, moron, I, 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 so I don't think me. there's anyone watching this movie that says Luke's a real good character. <laughs> he's a shrewd individual. Yes. <laughs> well, I think they think he's a good character, but he's a terrible character. He's a terrible human being. Total sidebar that I should have mentioned earlier. This movie was going to be filmed in South Carolina for half a million dollars. And Chris Peckover was approached by Australian by an Australian producer who offered a $3 million budget to shoot in Australia after hearing that Peckover's mother was an Australian native. So because sure. Peckover's mom was Australian, they got an extra $2.5 million to film this movie. Nice. nice. That's kind of like how I got my apartment here in Toronto. It's because I told the landlords that we had just moved back from Australia. So they thought we were Australian and then they rented it to us and then they met us and we're like, oh. But then they said, oh, we're going to put you next to the fire station so that way fire trucks go by all the time. Yes, my my individual apartment. The rest of the building is not around the fire station, just my unit. Yeah, that's it. It's also Toronto, so sirens are kind of as ubiquitous as running water. Thank you, Ariel. Because because you you live in Toronto too, right, Ariel? Officially, I'm from Thornhill, but that's a part of the GTA. I've lived in Toronto proper. Grand Theft Auto. No, the, the greater, greater Toronto, Toronto area. area. <laughs> I la- I'm, 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 I'm sorry, y'all. That was really obnoxious, but I made myself laugh really hard at that joke. <laughs> Honestly, you're so ashamed right trailer. now. <laughs> guys, guys, I know this actor. He was in Power Rangers. Everyone okay. is going to get that. Not Stranger Things, the thing that's like kind of a global No one is going to know who Doc Ray Montgomery is, and Power Rangers should have been a... St- Naomi Scott fucking did oh Power Rangers God. and then Charlie's Angels, and now she's just stop. fucked for life. I don't even know. I mean, uh, to be fair, the Power Rangers remake was pretty decent, so I'll give him that one. Yeah, I thought it was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch the sequel. But Trace, you also described this movie as fun, so how can we take you at your word? Joe, you described this movie as fun. Yeah, I Uh-oh. also like the Power Rangers movie. <laughs> I just like to see what I can drag you into because you're so easy. Just picture Mr. Burns. Just excellent. I'm just sitting here like. Ariel, you know, I, I don't know if you were in the Zoom chat that one day, but I'm where Lindsay Travis had a huge issue with Harley Quinn being anti-Semitic. And yep. And correctly so. Yes. yes. And but, but I also really liked the show and I read her article on it and I was like, so I, I had like a like an hour long conversation with her where I was just like, mm-hmm. similarly, was like, I, I feel bad. Not only saying that I like the show, but also even like retweeting that the show was renewed because I'm like one of my like, friends like is obviously personally hurt and offended rightfully so by this mm-hmm. show. And I feel so bad. So we had this like really like long talk about it and it was nice. That was the end of my story. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. It all comes down to how we interact with things, how we connect with things, and what we demand of the things we enjoy. Mm-hmm. And you can like and appreciate something and still demand more of it at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Though in, in the case of Better Watch Out, I have a really hard time of demanding more from it because it does exactly what it says it's going to do. Mm-hmm. I just wish I didn't hate it so fucking well, much. <laughs> but I, I even think about like how much media have I watched that's been super homophobic that I've let slide because... Yep. Oh, sure. It's okay because th- that's the norm, quote unquote, now. Or it was the time period. Like, even like, I mean, Cougar Town is one of my favorite shows of all time. And But someone tweeted me on Twitter recently and was like, hey, I'm in season two of this. And a lot of the jokes are like gay panic jokes where like yep. a guy touches another one's butt. He's like, I'm not gay. And I was like, honestly, like, I don't really remember it that much because I love the show. But I think I might have like 
subconsciously blocked that part out of my brain. I don't even know. But I think this is the difference, too, between something like people's fears around stuff like cancel culture and what Ariel is talking about, which is actually the appropriate measure. People like Harvey Weinstein deserve to be canceled because he's a fucking piece of shit and he was allowed to get away with really, really terrible behavior. But when we talk about being critical of our art, like you can like this movie and want to have really challenging conversations about it or wish that it was doing different things. And that doesn't mean that you're saying nobody watched this movie, this movie's a piece of garbage. And we can have that kind of tension. And that, I think, is actually productive. It's when people are just flat out like this movie shit, nobody should watch it oh, this person is garbage and he's in this movie, therefore you should never talk about it. Like, that's not productive. Cancel culture only exists for people who think they don't deserve to be, quote, canceled. Yeah. It's not It's mm-hmm. not a thing. It doesn't really exist. No. It's called accountability. And people have been held to that standard for decades and generations. And the people who are pissed about it now are the people who are actually being forced to reckon with the consequences of their actions. So Harvey Weinstein hasn't really been canceled. No. He has been appropriately held accountable for his actions. Mm-hmm. His actions being heinous and horrendous things that he deserves to rot and die in prison for and like the same thing is true of of a million different things and the people crying cancel culture it's toxic it's this it's that no it's really not we should be demanding more of of society of people of political structures we should be demanding more of our media and that doesn't mean that we are canceling things although some people take it to an extreme as well and think like well no you're a lost cause go fuck yourself but like no i mean the creators of of the harley quinn cartoon show for example could very well just hold themselves accountable, apologize for it. Right. But they and, do better. And do better. Yeah. Do better. Yep. Well, and yes. The issue I have with cancel culture is that it has, it has made people afraid to say anything. Like, and that that's why whenever me or Joe, usually me, uh, <laughs> say something that may be inappropriate or not kosher or whatever, and I get corrected on it, I'm like, no, keep it in. Yeah. Because I, A, need to be corrected, and I want to know mm-hmm. when I'm saying something wrong or inappropriate or that may not be, like, right. I want to learn. And I think that it helps people to learn when they can hear someone be told that they're wrong and not lose their mind over it. Because, again, that, that, that that's where so much, like, anger comes from is that people are so afraid to be told that they're wrong, especially publicly. Mm-hmm. And all of us are on Twitter a lot, and that, that always happens a lot, too, where it's like, oh, if like, you, you tweet something that maybe is not great and you are just bashed repeatedly publicly on Twitter. It sucks. I want to normalize having a discussion where it's like, hey, what you said is wrong or problematic or whatever, and it's okay, but this is why it's like that. And I feel like cancel culture inhibits that. No, not inhibits. Um, No, yeah, inhibits that to where people don't want to talk about it anymore because it's like, oh, if you say one wrong thing, you are canceled, and that's not helpful. That is not helpful. It's terrible. I think it depends who you're talking to. It becomes a bit of a slippery slope, but it is relative to several different factors. I genuinely don't think it's cancel culture, but that I think comes down to a difference of opinion. Mm -hmm. But I think it is just, you know, are you having a conversation with somebody who is willing to listen and hear your point and maybe have their perspective changed? Or are you talking to someone who may change your mind and make you realize that you have made a mistake and then you're going to own up to it? And then there is nothing being canceled. There is nothing wrong. There is nothing Mm -hmm. happening. There is nothing bad. All it is is growth. And there is nothing bad or wrong about that. 
it is holding ourselves to a better and higher standard. And, you know, when you know better, you do better. So when you know, do. (laughs) That's all it really comes down to. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's anything punitive there. I love that you make it sound so fucking simple. (laughs) A 12-year-old could understand what you're talking about. Well, the 12-year-old in this movie could not understand that. (laughs) Just not Luke. Just not Luke. Everybody else, though. Like, honestly. I mean, it's hard, man. Admitting you're wrong? That's fucking difficult. It's very difficult for a lot of people. And even for even for me, like I'm fucking some pedestal of like a pinnacle of rightness. It's hard for you to admit you're wrong, Trace? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm at he's that actually playful. very good at taking the blame. I but know. he's also very he good is. at sticking his foot in his mouth. Well, and me too, honestly. No, oh, and, and both of those are correct, but I, I have gotten better. <laughs> and, but no, but and, and, this sounds like I'm fucking tooting my own horn and being like, look at how good I am. But like, no. No. That's why this podcast I use as a platform. Like, I, I have stuck my foot in my mouth in this podcast a lot and been told by guests, hey, that's not right. And it would be so easy for me to like edit that out, edit out my mistake mm-hmm. and skip it. Yep. And I don't want yeah. to because even though it may make me look bad, and sometimes it does and sometimes it has... But it's better for someone who maybe at the moment is in my agrees with me to hear someone challenge me and say, hey, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. Well, like none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes and you don't know something until you learn it. So if you're going to make a mistake and be told you've done this wrong, here's how to do it correctly. Mm. That's the opportunity to learn and grow. So that, you know, perfection is fucking boring. Nobody, nobody has it. And anybody who pretends they do is it's it's a fucking illusion, right. anyways. Yeah, it's posturing. Mm. Yep, it's a performance, much like this movie. Okay, <laughs> well, I mean, I, we don't have to finish the plot. Obviously, we don't have to finish the plot. No, I was gonna say <laughs> huge digressions later. <laughs> but no, but, but this admittedly has been one of our most um, off formula episodes. But I like that. I think it's fun. We always say that we let the film just determine the discussion, right? Like, that's why Martyrs was primarily thematic discussion, less plot summary. This film obviously had something else in mind for us, and I think that's great. Mm -hmm. But is there anything else in this film, set piece-wise, thematic-wise? Like, I'm sure people come into this and be like, oh, well, y'all are going to talk about the paint can, right? Okay, someone gets killed with a paint can. It's there. It's fine. Yeah, it's great. It's like Home Alone. It's exactly what you think it is. Yeah. See, because they use that as a set piece in the trailer. And I was definitely anticipating that this was just her boyfriend comes to the house to try and fuck with her and fuck with them. And then they all turn it around and the kid gets a little too carried away. Like, that's what I assumed Uh, it was because of that set piece in the trailer. And I would have loved that. Right. And not been so mad. (laughs) Right. But Madgy has been entertaining for us. Yeah, fair, true. <laughs> well, so, so is, is there anything y'all want to discuss in the film outside of what we've already discussed? So late in the film, when it's down to just Luke and Ashley, and he's got her all tied up in the Christmas lights, he has that moment, right, where he tries to explain, I think in his mind, why he's doing this. It is because he wants to fuck her, because he's terrible. But also, he claims that it's because his mother stopped. Tucking him into bed. And... As a gay man, this is a weird yeah. moment for me. It's not just mommy issues. It reminded me of the relationship that I had with my mother where I wanted to be her perfect special little boy. And when I started to grow up, that relationship changes because, you know, it's uncomfortable and weird when you get to be about Luke's age. 
And I think it's a little odd that the film does give Luke this moment as if to say his actions worked. What do you mean? So after he takes his sleeping pill and his parents come home and discover all the bodies, we see the image of his mother cradling him and stroking his hair. And it's it's a weird moment for me because... Obviously, we don't like Luke. We don't want him to succeed. But as I said, I do think that there is a weird, there's a weirdness in the way that we approach this character in that I think we are meant to partially like him, if not root for him. And for this moment to then be like, well, it worked. He got what he wanted. I think that's just more to add to his duplicity, personally, and also more to add to the damage his fucking mother's done to him. Right. Like, and 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 not just his mother. It's not to be like, you know, she's the problem. It's psycho. No. Well, at this point, if you consider this the way we would consider it as Jewish people, by the time you hit 12 if you're a girl and 13 if you're a boy, you have your coming of age. You are a man. You are a woman. You okay. have your bar or bat mitzvah. So in this instance, he is transitioning into manhood. Mm -hmm. It is symbolic on that vantage point in many different ways. Right. And he desperately wants to be a man who is also having a hard time separating from his mother, but also hates her for it. Mm -hmm. So there's this weird kind of juxtaposition between the two. And like a lot of that is 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 her coddling of him, but it, it really seems like it's their relationship becomes symbolic for the way mothers coddle their sons into becoming Brock Turners. Right. Like that's the symbolism that I get from that is that they protect them and shield them from the world and think you're my mm. perfect little angel. You can do no wrong. I must protect you. Oh, he didn't mean it. Right. So, like, it's not a win for him. Okay. If anything, it's kind of tragic. I like that. I like that a lot. At least from my vantage point. But I've been called, you know, psychotic for, for reading too much into things <laughs> once, once or twice. So uh, we, we may <laughs> encourage that here. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> We're fond of a reach, a good reach, you know. I love a good reach. <laughs> oh, Trace, I'm, I'm surprised you managed to refrain from saying a good reach around there. <laughs> she's not gay. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. She's not Absolutely. a gay man. <laughs> I'm not a gay man. Let's say that. She's not a gay person with a penis. There we go. Correct. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It, I am still very much learning trans things. Yes. It's really been a struggle for me, and we have been called out. Me, I have been called out many times for it, and I'm still fucking learning, and it's still a daily You're getting there. educational thing for me. Yeah. It's the important thing is that you're trying. No, I mean, that's all I can do. Yeah. Okay, well. (laughs) (laughs) How now shall we wrap up? (laughs) I just want to take a moment to say that, Ariel, I really have enjoyed this. Oh, good. No, I, 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 I think it's good. I think it's a great conversation. I think it will be uncomfortable for people. I think it has been uncomfortable for all of us at some point in this two hour recording. It's not the recording I expected from this movie, but I'm happy that this is what we got. And I really want to emphasize my appreciation for your input here. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. That makes me really happy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're just a goddamn delight. Oh, thanks. Shit. (laughs) No, you can come back in like a year and we'll talk about cum some more. It'll be great. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yeah, we'll give you something lighter. (laughs) Hey, man. I, I relish having 
conversations like this. Yeah. I'm just very aware that not everybody does. Uh, but they arm. need to happen, right? Like, yep. Yeah. They need to happen. And then, I mean, again, like, we don't have, like, you know, fucking millions and millions of listeners. But, like, we have a platform where we can have this. And I think that's what's important here. Yeah. And honestly, if you want to listen to other people talk about Better Watch Out, you can go and find that. The movie is there. The readings are there. Other people have covered this film. This is a conversation that only we could have. And I appreciate that. I mean, I still want to reiterate that I like this movie a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, if nothing else, Chris, please don't take offense to the way that we have talked about the movie. No. I'll say this to reiterate. I do not think they did a bad job with this movie. Right. I think they all did a very good job with this movie. And I think that's part of why I hate it so fucking yeah, much. It's so effective, right? <laughs> It's so effective, and I hate him so much. <laughs> I almost wonder if it wasn't a comedy, if it was just a straight horror film, Ooh. if it might go down easier. Oh, I no, think it'd it be worse. Be so much worse. Really? Yeah. Oh. So much worse. I was no. really off the mark with that one. Because <laughs> the comedy is the only thing that allows you to even remotely tap out during some of the most terrible moments. Right. Okay. The comedy doesn't even hit me. Like, I never once in this entire movie laughed not even a, a chuckle. single fucking... <laughs> not even a chuckle. Not even. Oh, man. Yeah, we had to record you watching this. <laughs> a couple months. We'll give you a couple months to break. Yeah, give me some breathing room, and then by all means, I will do this. No problem. We'll do it over Zoom. Uh, I love it. Okay. Well... Before we announce what we're covering next week, that's going to wrap up this discussion. If y'all have any questions and want to talk about it, Ariel, where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can pretty much find me everywhere at APHIS8. And you can now find me on TikTok <gasps> at APHIS period 8. Yeah! Because APHIS8 was taken. <laughs> so I'm still figuring that out. My content's not great. I talked about Satanism for a little bit and people got like really interested in that. And I was like, oh, great. I guess I'm pigeonholed. So we'll see what winds up happening. But yeah, I exist there. So Wait, so <laughs> are all of us supposed to be on TikTok now? Because you, Beja Colangelo, did TikTok for a while. I was like, am I supposed to be on TikTok now? Oh, there's a lot of people on TikTok. Lee Howard is on TikTok. Uh, Deandra is on TikTok. Fuck. Jenny's on TikTok. She makes some really great content. Also, Eric, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, sign up for the bite, man. Yeah. Sign up and read what we have. Everything is on the Shutter blog as well, dating back at least for my entire tenure so far. A little over a year and a half, I guess, at this point. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> no, you sh and you should be proud of that shit. Yeah, be proud of I that am. shit, Ariel. Come on. <sighs> sirs, yes, sirs. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers and join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. Um, if you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, but we always prefer Apple Podcasts. Although, to all of you listeners who had us on your Spotify end of year list, that was super humbling and really great. We really thank you for posting all that. Some of you listened to like six episodes a day once, and I was like, holy shit, that's a lot yeah. of us. <laughs> Good that's for y'all. a lot of nasal droning, and we love you for it. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but if you want even more Horror Queers content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We are in the middle of December, so we've got our best and worst horror films of the year. We're going to look at the best horror headlines of the year. Also, some of the... Escandalos. <laughs> the scandals that have happened through the year. Yeah. 
in the horror community, which is really fun. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have episodes on Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor and Christopher Lannan's Freaky. And we'll have an audio commentary on Dial Code Santa Claus, a.k.a. the uh, R-rated Home Alone that is currently streaming on Shudder. It might make you less mad if you're looking for that Home Alone content. <laughs> yes, there, there's no sexual assault or toxic masculinity in that. It's just an old Santa thief and a child that tries to kill him. <laughs> but the child it's, it's, in the ring. It's rated R Home Alone, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Joe, mm-hmm. we are taking a break next week, but what yes. are we covering next week? Yeah, so this is the end of our holiday programming, so you won't see any more Christmas-related movies. But uh, we're not going to leave you in a lurch, so we're going to release our night stream recording on The Cell, which just celebrated its 20th anniversary earlier this year. Yes. And I have to say that um, after editing it and listening to it, it's actually a really good episode, actually, like, as if it, we weren't going to do a good episode on The Cell. Normally, they're total garbage <laughs> shit, but this one's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also a really good movie. And if you are a patron and you did watch Possessor this month, um, The Cell and Possessor make a really good double feature. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Interesting. So before we close out again, Ariel, I have to say thank you so much for coming on to this and giving us all of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all of that. Just all of it. All of yourself, really. Honestly, you guys could ask me to come on anytime and I'd always say yes. It is genuinely a pleasure every single time. Uh, now I can say that because it's more than it's more once. Than once. Ah. Oh my God. <laughs> and on that note, we can cross out for once and for all. Better watch out. <laughs> yes. And cross out horror queers. Disgusting Podcast Network, home of creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, the horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.